The scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. Loving God and loving the neighbor are much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Wonderfully encouraging and hopeful words, these. What God calls us to, the kind of relationship with us that God deeply, deeply desires, is one where we love God unreservedly as God loves us, and we love our neighbors, that is, each and everyone whom we encounter, the same way that God loves us, which is to say, without hesitation and without exceptions. Easy to say hard to do, as we realize every single day. So over the ages, good Christians and their good leaders have heard these words this way. If you do all you can to love God and love your neighbor, you will be all right with God. That's it. Do your best. Now, I don't know about you, but my inner perfectionist has just sighed deeply and relaxed. <laughs> Do my best. Ah, not be perfect in everything all the time. What a relief and what a blessing. But wait a minute. How do I know I've done my best? Actually, I'm quite sure I haven't. Not only did I think and say nasty things about that guy who cut me off in traffic, I made, shall we say, quite a rude and visible gesture so everyone could see it. So much for love of neighbor. And I haven't thanked God yet for this beautiful day and for the joy of being here, at least not with my whole heart. And I know I can afford to increase my pledge, to volunteer more at open table, to be kind to those who are in distress. So much for love of God, so much for love of neighbor. I am truly sorry and I humbly repent and I will do better because nothing matters more than being all right with God. And yet, even if I do better, what about the things that I could do, but don't even know I could do, but I might do if I only could figure out what they were? How can I ever be sure that I am doing all I can to love God and my neighbor? So how can I be sure that I'm all right with God? <clears throat> well, I'm not so relaxed now. Something along these lines very much preoccupied a medieval monk named Martin Luther. He went to confession all the time, and I mean all the time, to confess what he knew he had done and had not done, to confess what he had neglected to confess, to confess that he didn't know all of what he needed to confess, and so he hadn't confessed it. Until finally, his confessor got fed up, told him to get over himself, and sent him away. <clears throat> now Luther realized all of a sudden 
that being all right with God is up to God. It's not up to us. Luther realized that God always pours out abundant grace on all of us all the time. And God gives us grace to accept the grace that God pours out. And God gives us grace to share God's grace with others. What we do or don't do on our own, how often and how we pray, how much or how little we are gracious and loving and generous to others, even how often we do and do not give thanks to God for God's abundant grace, that's not what makes us all right with God. We're already all right with God because God has always and will always hold us close and enfold us in love. God always, always sees us as well-beloved daughters and sons, regardless, without exception. God has promised that nothing can separate any of us from God, and certainly not our own failings and misdoings. God always draws us close even when we draw away, and God always makes it possible for us to receive God's love and to give God's love to others. We are saved by grace alone, as Luther said, God's grace, always available, always on offer, whether we deserve it or not. So today is not just All Saints Eve or All Hallows Eve, it's also Reformation Day, celebration and remembering of Martin Luther's realization that it is grace alone that connects us to God. And it's a celebration and remembrance of Luther's working out what that means for being faithful and for being the church that we remember today. Yet in proclaiming the importance of grace and of our confidence, our trust, our faith in God, Luther wasn't doing anything new, as he would have been the first to say. After all, this conviction that God always offers God's love and goodness to us is something the Bible proclaims loud and clear in both Testaments. We've heard it in both lessons as well as the Gospel this morning. And grace alone has been a central focus for a lot of theologians and priests and pastors and faithful people for centuries. What Luther did was remind Christians that God is gracious all the time. And so it's not up to us to be good enough to merit God's love. God loves us freely, regardless. We always seem to need that reminder because so much of our everyday lives is about doing the best we can, about being responsible grown-ups. We rely on each other, after all. It goes with being human, and it goes with loving our neighbors and loving God. It really does matter that we show up and do what we can do. So it's easy and even understandable to extend that sense of needing to do well to our relationship with God, to the point of believing that our relationship with God actually hinges on our doing our best. Have we measured up? 
Have we done all that God wants us to do? What's the balance on that spreadsheet that surely God keeps along with the ones we keep and we keep on ourselves and others? But the good news is that our relationship with God rests with God, with God's endless goodness and not our own, with God's constant self-giving and love and not our own, and with God's constant, abundant, and irresistible grace. Believing that, trusting that, having confidence in that sets us free. We don't have to worry about what God thinks of us and what we do and don't do because God always embraces us as well-beloved daughters and sons regardless. So when we turn toward God in love and thanksgiving, as we do, we are free to do that just because we love God, because receiving God's gracious love sparks love in us too. When we turn toward our neighbor in love, in compassion or solidarity or delight, we do so because receiving God's gracious love as God's deeply desired children helps us to see everyone we encounter as also deeply desired by God and graced with God's love. When God's grace sets us free from worrying about where we stand with God, our love for God and for neighbor fills us and moves us to see others, to see the world, to see even ourselves as truly beloved of God. God's grace and love remake us, and they remake the world. Now, all of this can easily sound like so much pious twaddle, and I don't like pious twaddle. The truth of the matter is that loving freely is hard. Receiving God's grace is hard, because grace requires us to get over ourselves to get ourselves out of the middle of the picture and back into the company of others. Grace requires us, grace enables us to immerse ourselves in the whole mess of human existence, of life in the world, just as God does. Grace opens us to holding close to our own hearts all the suffering, the cruelty, and the waste of the world, just as God holds all that close to God's own heart. And grace also opens us up to all the joy, all the warmth, all the wonder that intermixes so completely with everything else, so that this messy world is also a world of delight. So in a sense, grace strips us bare of our defenses. So it's hardly surprising that we often prefer to step back and just get on with it by doing the best we can. The thing is, though, the grace ultimately doesn't let us do that. It's always there. It's always beckoning us, luring us, drawing us closer to God and closer to each other. Grace keeps opening our eyes to the fact that love of God and love of neighbor are more important than all the offerings, all the efforts, all the sacrifices that we make. 
And so by grace, we are never far from the kingdom of God.